The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now, we do have Councillor Eddie Contell. Councillor, thank you for being on the program once again. Oh, good morning, Mitchell. It's been a little while, so thank you for having me back. It has been good to have you back on the program, and uh, our tradition on this program is every Melbourne Cup day, we ask everyone what their pick is for the race. So do you have a tip for the Melbourne Cup this afternoon? Well, Joni Summers once sung, sung a song, Johnny Get Angry, so I'm going to go with Johnny Get Angry with uh, the trainer being Dennis Pagan, because I'm a bit of a wannabe muso, so that's my pick. I've seen your music. It's very good. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, Christmas is coming to Geelong. The Christmas tree's been towed into place, from what I understand. I haven't actually been down there yet to see it. But um, is Christmas coming a bit earlier than usual this year? Yeah, it was intentional, uh, Mitchell, because, um, look, we, we all want a little bit to look forward to, and I know things are now starting to open up, but the intent was to try to just bring the spirit of Christmas in a little bit earlier, give the kids something to look forward to, give the family something to look forward to. So we were able to organise for the tree to be floated in earlier, but also for the construction of the tree actually to occur down at the waterfront rather than um, down in the um, down where it traditionally gets um, put together in uh, North Geelong. And so as such, people can come down and watch the tree getting constructed and, and hopefully we'll be able to light it up a little earlier as well. With the projections coming on board as well, we were testing them last night at City Hall and they look fantastic. And do we have a sense as to what the Christmas program will look like this year? Because I think last year you had to innovate a bit and make it a a little bit more conducive to social distancing. So will a lot of that be there this year as well? Of, of course we'll need to be responsible, um, as we have been, but things will start to look a little more traditional. We've got a lot more live entertainment planned um, this year, which is back in line with our traditional Christmas program. So we'll have roving musicians and, um, and um, you know, circus theatre and puppet shows and all sorts of things. But more so than just in and around the waterfront and the CBD, we'll also have that out at the suburbs. So we intentionally want to make sure that the Christmas spirit is spread right throughout our municipality. Now, um, gambling in Geelong, I see there's been some talk amongst the councillors and the council about um, what the council's stance on gambling should be. And I think there's even been talk about whether or not council events should be held at pokies venues. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of people don't like gambling. And yes, it does cause harm, but it's still a legal product in our society. So is the council essentially saying that gambling really should be made illegal by the state government? Well, it's not saying that yet because at this point in time, um, as you may or may not be aware, we have the draft gambling harm minimisation policy out for uh, community consultation and community feedback. Now, it's out there and it's open until the 10th of, Fe- uh, 10th of December. And as you say, Mitchell, it, it is a legal activity, um, you know, whether it be EGMs or whether it be horse racing or sports bet or whatever. It is a, it is a legal activity. I guess what we're wanting to do is uh, receive feedback on how we can minimise the harm uh, associated with uh, with gambling, uh, just like any other addiction, uh, you know, when when it's taken to the extreme, it can cause harms to people's uh, uh, individual lives and also of their family and friends. And so, what we're looking for is feedback from the community on what their thoughts are and how they would like us to approach this from uh, a council perspective. And yes, there's there are um, there are mentions in the policy about, you know, perhaps council not holding uh, council meetings and events at uh, at venues that have uh, gambling in them. But to be quite honest, Mitchell, that's the case now anyway. 
uh, you know, I think for probably the last time we held a ven- uh, an event at a, uh, a venue that had gambling, and it would have been probably been three or four years ago. So I can't recall uh, us having too many events uh, in those types of establishments. Having said that, we've got some sporting clubs that have um, a reliance on on EGMs, and they've got every right to it at this point in time. But um, the, pro- the the policy also asks uh, whether there might be a, 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 you know some benefit in council working with those organisations if they have a desire to divest uh, from that type of reliance. But, I mean, if it's a perfectly reasonable venue and maybe it's cheaper for uh, ratepayers to hold an event there, I don't necessarily see why it would be a problem if it's got one room with a few poker machines or EGMs if you can hold the event in another room. I saw there was another area which was about banning gambling websites for council networks, and I think that might be a fair enough step to take, but I'm just not sure about that banning council events at poker use venues. I mean, I think everything should be on the table in terms of where you can hold council events. Yeah, and that's exactly what the policy is about. It puts it out there and now it's up to the community to provide feedback to us as to how they would like us to manage this. And I agree with you. You know, it is a legal activity and it needs to be looked at in that manner. Now, a car-free CBD, or at least part of it, uh, we'll be having the Public Transport Users Association on a little bit later on, but I saw you were in that article yesterday talking about this idea of banning cars in the CBD in Murable Street uh, between Ryrie Street and Mallop Street. And it's also just occurred to me that if you did that, you'd probably have to close down Little Mallop up street as well to cars there because there'd be nowhere to turn into in that one-way street. Yeah, well, look, first of all, um, I'm glad that at least the, the public transport users group have, have got an opinion, which is great, because the state government has certainly been stale on this matter for, for years on end. Um, I don't personally, this is only my personal views, I don't personally agree that we should have Norwood uh, Street closed to buses. In fact, if you're going to close any street, at all in the CBD, and I'm not, and I'm not subscribing to that. But if you're going to close any street in the CBD, you may as well close Mallop Street because that's the one that, at the moment, uh, it is probably as inefficient as any other street as a through road in the CBD. So maybe that's one that should be looked at. But my personal opinion is that we should actually remove the buses altogether from Mirable Street, and and what we should establish is an efficient and effective and a clean and safe. Uh, bus interchange. Um, as I referred to in the article, uh, after the earthquakes, Christchurch built a, a magnificent bus interchange. It's really efficient. It's really clean. It's like an airport. And then it has smaller shuttle buses that shuttles people in and out uh, in a nimble manner uh, in and around the CBD. You know, we've got these big 32, 36-seater buses in, in the CBD and Packington Street. And the need is just not there anymore. The need from the 70s, 80s and 90s where many options for people was just in the CBD to go shopping and doing their business. Now people have options uh, uh, all over uh, Geelong. And uh, add to that uh, COVID and how people have now started to choose to work more so from home, the need for those large buses in the absolute CBD, they're just not there. And I can't see that being a requirement for at least the next decade. The argument from the PTUA, I'm assuming, is going to be, well, people would use buses more if you had a nice big bus interchange in Murable Street that didn't have cars going through it. Do you think that would actually get more people on buses and out of cars? I think a bus interchange, but not in Murable Street. I think it should be on the outskirts of the CBD, whether it be at the train station or another location, and then you have smaller shuttle buses um, commuting people in and around the CBD. We just do not need large 32, 36-seater buses in and around our CBD with a handful of people on them. 
And we just spoke to the committee for Geelong who's advocating for trackless trams. Is that an idea that might work better than buses? Look, well, first and foremost, what needs to be adopted is a transport network operating plan. What's happening here again is that we're just putting out fires and we're, we're, we're approaching this in a siloed manner rather than having an overall approach. And that was the reason that Council did not adopt the transport network operating plan when it was presented to us in 2019 because it had no mention whatsoever of public transport. And so really the state government need to get on with this and get a, get a transport network operating plan developed so that we have a whole of city, whole of city and a whole of municipality transport plan. Uh, we continue to talk about removing trucks out of Ryder Street and out of the CBD. Well, there's nowhere for them to go. Believe me, truck drivers don't want to be driving in and around the CBD either. But the sad case is that it's the most efficient route for them at the moment. So we really do need an overall strategy. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to put band-aids onto uh, problems and create other, other challenges and issues. Now, do you have an update on Osborne House for us? Yes, well, I, I do, but obviously um, due to probity um, restrictions, I can't give you all the details. But um, as you know, we've been taking steps, you know, forward ever so slowly um, to secure the, the, you know, the sustained future for for Osborne House. And what what is pleasing is that we had an expression of interest out uh, out in May, and we've now uh, got some um, pretty strong partners that are looking to invest. Uh, in Osborne House. So that, that process is being worked through and we're really uh, anticipating to bring to council uh, probably uh, by the end of the first quarter um, uh, a recommendation for council to look at to take Osborne House forward uh, with a partner that would be able to invest in it that would provide, uh, you know, continued use to the community but also uh, sustainable use for the, for the future for Osborne House. And finally, there's been talk about a council budget deficit and some people on social media I see have been really getting stuck into the council about this. Uh, is it inevitable that after COVID you're going to have a budget deficit or were there ways that you could avoid that situation? Oh, well, there's always ways to avoid it. But look, there's a couple of things here. We intentionally we intentionally budgeted for a deficit. In fact, the deficit that we budgeted for was significantly higher, which was um, in and around 30-odd million dollars. Uh, we've ended up with a deficit of some 9.4. Um, a couple of things. Well, one is our, our expenditure uh, is, ex- is, is exceeding our revenue. So we, we do need to take some steps to, to track that back. Um, and they're, they're initiatives that we're working on for the future budgets. But the intent was to run a, a deficit in this next financial year because we did want to continue to um, have COVID, um, COVID support packages in place. And, and our COVID contribution last year was some $13 million. And, of course, rate capping at, you know, 1.9 doesn't assist us uh, significantly either in terms of generating revenue. So we need to look at the things that we're investing in. We need to look at our capital expenditure going forward um, and uh, and also the assets that we own or or, uh, intend to own. But do you think you'll go back to a surplus if you'd taken out the COVID support and all that sort of thing and the downturn caused by the lockdowns? Would you go back to a surplus or is there really still an underlying deficit there and you're going to have to look at either somehow getting new sources of revenue or selling off assets, whatever? Yeah, look, it's a bit of everything because, I mean, you can say yeah, if we didn't do any uh, COVID support, well, then we wouldn't have run a, a deficit. But it, it's it's... It's probably a little bit simplistic to say you just don't do one thing and then all of a sudden everything's good because it's not, because COVID support needed to happen. We needed to try to balance off what was occurring in our economy and trying to keep 
uh, you know, things ticking along, at least in some sort of um, favourable economic uh, position. So, yes, yes, we need to start to scale some of those things back as as our borders and, and, and the economy starts to open up. But also, as you've said, we do need to look at our assets, um, uh, Mitchell. We do need to look at the buildings and the properties that we own. Um, and we do need to look at the services that we're engaged in as we do. But um, it's not one it's not one, um, one silver bullet that fixes all. Well, thank you very much for being on the program. Always good to catch up. And uh, I'm sure that public transport and just transportation in general debate is going to keep going on. So I uh, appreciate it. Which is great. That's good. Hopefully something happens. Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much, uh, Councillor Eddie Contell. And yeah, he's right. Hopefully something does happen with transportation because as I've said so many times before, it's a big issue for people. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.